Other states besides flight, fight, and freeze? Eh, I don't think so. My name is Justin Sinceri, licensed marriage and family therapist. Welcome to episode 8 of the Polyvagal Podcast. couple things make sure you've listened to the previous seven episodes i this one really builds upon the last seven like uh i really suggest you don't cheat here now listen to everything catch up and then also this is a very i think a very safe episode eh, it might be a little bit triggering but i don't know you only you know you so make sure you put yourself first um be in a good uh, good place have a place to um you know you get, feel free to pause get up do whatever you got to do put yourself first okay Before we get to the uh, episode proper, the main topic, let's do a quick polyvagal breakdown of a, of a piece of media here. This is perhaps one of the most important pop culture moments of our or anybody's time. This is not a piece of music. It's a, a dialogue, really. But I want you to listen to the voices and listen for what kind of state people may be in. Your body will tell you. Don't listen with your ears. Listen with your body. Your body will tell you where people are at. This involves a teenager, a mom, and a Dr. Phil. It was really hard to pick where to start this. So um, what we're walking into here is a teenage girl who's being confronted by Dr. Phil. And he kind of sets up this very vague, not a threat, but like just sort of like, hey, what if this happens, what are you going to do? So he's sort of up in the ante and trying to get a reaction out of her. So let's let's take a listen here. Oh, and by the way, the language here is okay for me. There's no effort. I mean, it's Dr. Phil. It's on network TV. So um, I know you have delicate ears. I just want to warn you, but it should be okay. There's no F words, no S. You know, it's it's TV, but just, just heads up. So what do you think is going to happen when you happen to steal somebody's car that disagrees with that and decides that they're going to drop a hammer on you and prosecute you to the full extent of the so what listen so far we've got dr phil who's got a pretty monotone voice not i don't think there's a whole lot of vocal prosody whatsoever and he's kind of setting up a situation for her involving police and being in trouble and being arrested and uh potentially put into a cage really um so that that's kind of he's setting this up and this is a girl who's already got some, we'll call them behavioral issues. She's way down the ladder already. They set it up in the in the segment. Her and her mom like fight. She runs away from home. And one day she had ran away four times and then come back by through police escort. Uh, four times in one day. So this is kind of her standard of running away. So I should already kind of tell you what kind of state she's in. But her and her mom do fight. And the mom in particular fights as well. And she's bigger. But yeah, so let's get back. Then I do my time in jail. Jail ain't nothing. That's what I always do, and they never catch me. Ain't nobody gonna catch me. Because you're too streetwise? Yup. And all these hoes laughing like something funny. She's talking about the audience. So he just called her out in front of a studio audience, and she's well aware of how many people are really judging her right now. And, you know, that's kind of the situation she's put herself in um, from the choices that she's made and coming onto the show. And now you have this, you know, I don't know how many people are there. Let's say 100, a couple hundred that are probably snickering, a little bit of laughter here and there, definitely some judgment. So she's feeling extremely cornered, and uh, we'll see what happens. 
but but she it's almost like she attacks by calling them uh hoes right so she's kind of attacking them in a little bit she she might be dropping down she's no longer able to avoid the issue now she's surrounded she may be dropping down into um fight mode audience that they're laughing at her did did you say the 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 hoes are laughing yep so the audience are a bunch of hoes yep I have no idea why they're clapping here. This is kind of weird. Catch me outside. How about that? Huh? Catch me outside. How about that? Catch you outside? What does that mean? What I just said. Catch her outside I means she'll go outside and do what she has to do. And there's that moment of catch me outside. How about that? Um, so she's putting up this sort of vague threat. It, it is difficult to tell. Is she actually aggressive? I don't think she's actually looking to start a fight. It looks like, this is, to me, this is a lot of avoidance behavior, even though she's ramping it up and maybe going down the ladder a little bit. She's not actually attacking anybody. That does change in a moment. I'm going to keep going with this, even though you can't see it. I'll tell you what happens here. But she's, it seems like it's a lot of avoidance sort of behavior. She is sort of ramping things up, but she knows no one's going to attack her. She's not going to about to get up and attack anyone. So she's sort of hanging in this very mobilized, uh, or actually not quite mobilized. I think sympathetically, she's definitely aroused. But um, she hasn't mobilized quite yet. Her her affect you can't see, it, but it's dead flat. Her eye, her eyes, nothing going on there. That's what she's talking about. Oh yeah, this yeah, is okay, all, yeah. This is all. But don't you see that this is all mouth? This is mouth. Oh. Do so you want to take this outside? Because I think they can bring cameras outside. So mom takes it to the next level. So, she, like, I, I think mom reads her pretty well. It is all mouth. She's putting things out there, but she's not actually attacking anybody. But then mom calls her on it. Rather than acknowledging that this is a horrible situation for everybody involved, mom ramps it up and, and calls her out. <laughs> and this is the last thing you want to do with someone, with a, with a teenager, with some, uh, with some behavioral sort of issues, is to call them out in front of other people. This is a horrible idea. So now she steps it up with mom like, okay, I will t now I'm going to drop down the ladder and you're, you're now the target. You just became the biggest threat to me. Really? Because I think I flipped you. You want to do it again? And so what mom does, mom, <laughs> she amps, she anties up again. She says, she calls her on it and says, I just flipped you. Apparently bragging about how she physically assaulted her daughter in the green room or whatever you call it, the, the backstage room. You don't get all tough. Please don't. This is not the place. Hey, and this is not sit the down. Sit down. All right, Dan. And so now she stands up and gets in her, her mom's face. And now mom's like, oh, this isn't the place. This is not the place. It's just, you know, you got to feel sorry for, um, I don't know her name, the cashmere side girl. You kind of have to feel sorry for her on some level. Yeah, she makes some dumb choices, and she is responsible for those choices. I, I don't think we can absolve our responsibility for the choices that we do make, no matter what our state is. I mean, we can understand where people are coming from, but she's, make, she's making some choices here. But mom is absolutely egging her on and, in a way, really setting herself up for, some, for, for, for making things worse. Sit down. Flip me now. Come flip me now. And there, there we go. And then Dr. Phil with his monotone voice. Sit down. Tough guy. That, uh, man, that, did you hear prosody from anyone? Not really. No. I wouldn't say there was any prosody there. They all, in everybody in the video, and I'll link to it in the description, everybody has flat affect. Um, the teen, and they show the mom and the, and the daughter getting physically aggressive with each other um, as part of like um, a before the segment, like, video recording in the home or whatever 
It, it's like it's obviously the kid is in the state of wanting to run away from mom. And that's what she does at home. And then she can't run away from mom in front of a live studio audience uh, for teenagers, embarrassment, and how people are going to view her. All this stuff comes into play. Um, and then mom sets herself up as in this position after egging her on as being the one who says, oh, no, this is not the place. This is not the place. Now, come on. Now. Anyhow, so the teen here, later named Bad Baby, B-H-A-D-B-A-B-I-E, Bad Babby, uh, obviously becomes more aggressive, but we see there's a progression of it. She doesn't just exist in that state, but when it comes to her mother, she can easily drop down into that state, it looks like. So with between her and mom, there's some physical altercations. Mom is more powerful. She lives with mom, is dependent upon mom. And so mom eggs her on and gets her down to that aggressive state more easily than an entire studio audience where she was able to control that that flight. I think she wanted to run away. I think she was absolutely mortified of the situation probably. Uh, but she didn't run away. In a safe face, she said things like, cash me outside. <laughs> so yeah, anyhow. and then Dr. Phil is, well, he's just... Dr. Phil, isn't he? So let's take a moment and recenter. What I want you to do is when you listen to these chimes, to just let your breathing happen. Um, don't plan it. Just notice how you feel. Notice how your body feels when you listen to this and let the, let the breathing sort of unfold. There's a few chimes here. All right, so the topic here is, I have been, well, it's, it's, are there more states besides flight, fight, and breathe? And I'm going to say no. And I'm going to explain why as well, of course. And I think some of them maybe came before or developed parallel or maybe came afterwards. I honestly, I don't know. I haven't, I didn't look into the history of like when these things came out, but I'm just sort of noticing them now. And it's, I don't, they all seem to have an F as well. Like they're, they're, they're F words, um, I don't know. It's, I don't know. It just seems like a kind of gimmicky, but anyhow, so these are my thoughts. This is not a reflection of, of my polyvagal Trinity. This is not a reflection of Dr. Porges, of Deb Dana, of Peter Levine. This is not them whatsoever. This is just my two cents. These are my thoughts. And, um, I'm happy to be wrong, but this is kind of what makes sense to me. And I just want to share that with you. I'm not going to go into huge depth with this, with these different states that are proposed here. Uh, but I'll talk about them briefly because I think it's worth it. Uh, anyhow, so there's, okay, here, here's a list of other states, right? Friend, fawn, flop, flooding, fatigue, and then the actual F word. I've seen that somewhere else. I'm not going to talk about that one. That should be pretty obvious. But So friend, flop, fawn, flooding, fatigue, and the F word. Do not, I will, I don't talk like that. You guys, I know you have very delicate ears. I would not subject you to that. So do not, these, these different proposed reactions to trauma do not appear to be a biological response to danger or life threat. And we know that uh, flight and fight are responses to danger and that shutdown is a response to life threat and that they go in an order. So we know that these are biological, instinctual, it just happens. We have zero control over it. These aren't just behaviors. These are responses to danger or life threat. So these other ones that respond, the other Fs, these seem to be more like coping skills to me. These are behaviors that are reinforced. So like they're, they're, they're behaviors, the things that people do, and then they're reinforced um, in some way. These are, 
I think they're more like learned survival skills, but they're not autonomic nervous system states. And when we say uh, safe, when we say safe and social, when we say flight, fight, and freeze, these are autonomic nervous system states. They they have their own circuitry. Okay, so these other ones that are proposed, the other, these other Fs. These seem to be built upon the foundation of our three states, or maybe even a mixture of the states. So I'm gonna, but they're not, but they're not their own, like friend and fawn and flop and flooding and fatigue. These are not their own um, autonomic states. We only have three of those, as far as we know. There's only three of them. So I, I'm gonna call these secondary adaptations or secondary behaviors or secondary states for now. I don't have the great word for it, but if you, it's basically the idea is it's secondary. It comes after the primary response to danger or life threat. When, and when, when you read these, what I want you to do is a little warning here. Be wary of the language of these when you find them out in the internet wilds as you're doing your polyvagal research, um, which I'm sure you're just like me on, on Saturday mornings. The first thing you're doing is reading a paper di- by Dr. Porters, right? So yeah, as you stumble across these other st- proposed states, these other Fs, I want you to be wary, be pay close attention to the, to the language that they use. So something I noticed in reading these um, essays is that these other Fs are proposed as if they are choices, or even that the primary Fs, the flight, fight, freeze, as if it's a choice. But we know that people aren't choosing to go into these. It just happens. It's It's a biological, evolutionary hierarchy of responses this is not an option we just do these things so these are biological responses they're not learned these are not learned and it's it's innate within our neurology within the autonomic nervous system hierarchy the three polyvagal states are immediate reactions this is the other thing these are immediate reactions to immediate neuroceptions of danger and yeah of course they can last for a while and these can we could be stuck in these for a lifetime yeah i know that but um, initially, during the moment of actual danger or life threat, that these are immediate reactions. We immediately drop down the ladder in a sequence. We don't choose to. They don't develop over time exactly. These aren't behaviors that develop over time. These are immediate autonomic reactions. Okay, so these are not behavior adaptations to trauma. Flight, fight, and freeze are not behavior adaptations to trauma. They are not coping skills. They are not ways to get your needs met. They are evolutionary survival instincts, period. And our state is not about what has or has not worked in the past. All right? So let me recap here. These are not choices. Just keep an ear out or an eye out for that kind of language. These are not choices. Um, These are not learned behaviors. And, or that, or these are not even like behaviors that develop over time. And also the third one is that our state is not about what has or has not worked in the past. These aren't, again, not learned behaviors. These are not learned responses. It's about, these states are about, um, the primary, the three are about what state we have to drop to in order to survive. It's not about what works exactly. It's about what we have to drop to in order to survive. And it's about what our vagal break can tolerate. We learned about that, I think, um, two episodes ago, yeah. And it's about what state we get stuck in. Um, that's And that's why we revert to these states. Like I, th- I think there was an, an essay that I wrote 
or that I wrote, that I read, where someone had said that we cho- basically choose one of the Fs, one of the numerous Fs that works in the situation. And since it works, we go back to that when there's another um, dangerous situation. And that's not, I don't think that's accurate, honestly, at all. It's it's about like if we're in a situation where we have to shut down, it's not because the other ones don't work. It's 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 because that's the only option that we had. We had to drop down. It wasn't like the screwdriver doesn't work, so I'm gonna try the hammer. Um, I don't. That's not the way. I, it's not like a tool. It's it's a um, instinctive response that we just do. <laughs> we just do it because we have to. All right, so it's not an option. It's not a tool that we pull from and then go back to because it works. And if if we do go back to the shutdown response, it's because we're already there. Our bodies can get stuck in shutdown. That's what trauma is, that we're in shutdown plus um, sympathetic arousal. So we're, we have this huge buildup of sympathetic energy while also uh, being in parasympathetic shutdown. So we, unless we can release this trauma energy, the sympathetic energy, we're stuck there. So the next time that we're in some sort of neuroception of danger, we're already there. We're not just dropping down to it. We're already there. Like we, we already exist in that state. So it's not like it's a tool that we just pull from because it works. I don't think that's quite the right language. And I think it's important to differentiate and really respect that someone is stuck there. Not that they're choosing to go back to it, um, but they're stuck there. So, and we can absolutely learn. So we can absolutely learn what specific behaviors work and, and don't work to get our needs met. And these can be reinforced. So I'm, I'm not saying that like, that these other state, these other proposed states, the secondary states, I'm not saying they don't exist. The fawn thing makes sense. And we'll talk about that. But um, I think it's a learned behavior. It's not a primary response to danger or life threat. I think it's a learned behavior. So we can absolutely learn. If we're stuck in a certain state, we can learn what to do to get our needs met. And that and the and what we learn can be reinforced. So if, for example, we can learn that drug use and alcohol use give relief from being down the ladder, and these are extremely reinforcing. We can learn that. But drug use is not a primary response to life threat or to danger. It's a relief from our state. Spending sprees on things you don't need serve a purpose. It does something for you. It's a learn, but it's a learned behavior. You know, like if I were to spend a few, not that I ever would, but when if I were to spend a few grand on a watch, I might feel good about myself. It might be a relief from whatever I'm going through. It may, maybe it gives me attention that I need. I don't know. But that's not a primary, it's a secondary behavior. It's a learned behavior. It's um, It's a coping skill. But it's not a primary response to to danger or life threat. And then also leaving class might allow me to avoid looking stupid in front of the class. And, and it could also make me look like a badass in front of my peers that I can just get up and walk away and talk back to the teacher. And maybe that brings me some admiration or, I don't know, fear. Maybe kids will be afraid of me or something. Not me now, but me as a teenager. Um, not that anybody would have been scared of me as a teenager. I was not, not, not super scary. But you know, like that that's not a primary response to danger or life threat. That's a learned behavior. That's a coping skill. It's an escape. It's a release or it's a way to assert myself, but it's not a primary. So hopefully you're seeing the difference that there's a, there's a learned behavior or a coping skill or a survival skill, but that's not an autonomic nervous system state. Hopefully that makes sense. And these are, you know, all of these things that I listed are 
They don't make things better exactly, but they're way better than dealing with my state of being in shutdown and feeling like I'm nothing or worthless. Like walking out, of, I'd rather walk out of class than than have it to deal with feeling like that. So it's a way to deal with my state. So I haven't seen Porges, I haven't seen Levine, I haven't seen Deb Dana comment on any of this stuff. Again, this is just kind of my own thoughts. But here's, um, let's go with the first F here that I'll present here. It's called flop. And this is apparently just like freeze, but the idea is that if your freeze response doesn't work or is ineffective in the situation, that you go into not an actual freeze, like a catatonic actual like stiffened freeze, but then your body just flops. I've, you know, I haven't seen anybody comment on this or the neuro or the, um, you know, the neurology of this stuff. I, I haven't seen that, but it sounds like freeze. It, it just sounds like a parasympathetic takeover and you just shut down. Like we can call this shutdown. We can call freeze shutdown. It just it kind of falls under the same, it's a dorsal vagal kind of thing. If, for those of you that like, for my hashtag trauma nerds that really like the, the actual terminology, it sounds like a dorsal vagal thing. So freeze can look like dissociation. It can look like actual stiff and freeze. It can look like collapse. It can look like fainting. It can look like a flop. I mean, it's freeze. So it's not a unique state. Maybe the body looks different, but it's still the dorsal vagal. It's still the same circuitry of, uh, of collapse, of freezing or of shutting down. It's, it's still the parasympathetic autonomic nervous system. Sorry. It's the dorsal vagal pathway. It's the parasympathetic uh, uh, branch down uh, that goes down your, from your brain down to your gut and just shuts everything down. It's, it's, not, it's, it's not its own primary response, I, I don't think. Um, the next one is called fawn, another F, fawn. This is where you're cooperating or submitting to one's threat or captor. So you're, it's, it's basically like you're in complete submission, like you've completely so, like let yourself your, go, not that you've chosen to at all, but you go into such a, sh- a dissociative shutdown that yourself is now gone. I'll just put it that way. And that you're completely submitting to someone else or people, some other people that are more powerful or dominant and that control your basic needs, which kind of seems like to me, it's like a freeze response with this sort of like survival skill of connecting in a way with your captor, which is, you know, what's that called? Um, Stockholm syndrome. I mean, I don't see how that's different, but connecting with the captor, even in this sort of shutdown dissociative state, that's not a primary response to danger. The shutdown comes first, I believe, um, and whatever that looks like for that person, and then they adapt and they learn to survive by the, doing the fawn thing. But the fawner isn't, while they're fawning, is not actually frozen literally. They may have been during that acute, like terrifying incident or incidents. And it sounds like the fawn thing is, re, is a result of horrible, horrible trauma. Um, so it seems to me more like a dissociative state. It can be like someone's completely out of touch from their own self-identity. Um, maybe I, I, I'm just sort of guessing, but it's, it feels to me like it's closely linked to like a dissociative identity disorder or one of the dissociative disorders. Um, and just like, and just like DID, it's, um, and, and the other couple of, um, dissociative disorders that it's induced through heavy trauma. There's like, there's a connection there. And there's also this sort of in fawn, there's like this complete surrender and a loss of the true self. And I think it's very similar to the other dissociative disorders 
So the fawn thing seems to be a, a survival skill for someone who um, probably is in some sort of life threat state. The next one is called friend. Um, I don't, I just, I don't know. It, this is basically using social engagement to get your needs met. Uh, but it's different than fawn because there's no trauma attached to it. It just, it. so the example that I read about was like a baby that's immobile. Like they can't get up and get their needs met. They can't get up and run away from danger. But um, a baby that's basically immobile, we'll say immobile, that cry, I mean, they're not immobile. They still, you know, they do their baby thing. But they cry for help. And that's the friend response is crying for help. Um, and I, I don't, I don't get, I just don't see that, uh, because babies don't cry unless they drop down the ladder. If they're safe and social, they're going to make eye contact and they're going to make noises and prosody and, you know, touch and they don't cry. They don't cry like that. They, when they drop down the ladder, when they have a need that's not being met, they drop down the ladder. So the friend response is a symptom of, or it's, um, it's a behavioral adaptation, like, Crying for help is the behavior of dropping down the, the ladder for a baby. So if they drop down the ladder in a sympathetic arousal, they cry. That's the way they deal with that energy. And then, yeah, mom or dad hears them and provides them with their basic necessity. But they're dropping down the ladder first. The state is not friend. The state is a, a sympathetic flight or fight. Uh, probably more like flight, I'm, but I'm not, I don't think I know enough about babies and uh, their state so but it's 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 some sort of sympathetic arousal so even though the baby can't run it's still using the circuitry of flight and fight that's the point it's still in the sympathetic branch which is the polyvagal theory it's it's still friend is not its own state it's it's the friend response if you want to call it that is really just like social engagement and co-regulation so a coup to a baby in their social engagement system like if, if, if a baby's in their social engagement system, like I said, if you coo to them, they will hear you because their their ears are attuned to vocal prosody. They will hear you do your sing-songy prosody thing, and they love it. If you coo to a baby that's crying, they probably won't exactly hear you because, not just because they're crying, but they've dropped down the ladder and their ears are not ready to pick up on your vocal prosody anymore. They just need their needs met. Um, their ears are now attuned to danger. So if you do the sing-songy thing, they may not hear you off the bat versus when they're in a good place that they probably will hear that vocal prosody more readily. And also when they're crying, they're not making eye contact. Like I said before, they're not making a, that, like that. That's the sign that they're down the ladder. They're no longer in their social engagement system that they've dropped down the ladder. The next F is called flooding. This is, I, I, don't, this, I don't get this one at all. It's being flooded with emotions in response to a threat. I don't see the value in this F state. I don't get it, honestly. Um, yeah, we're absolutely feeling some type of flooding when we're in danger. But that feeling is a reflection of the state that we're in. You'll feel flooded by panic if you're surrounded by wild dogs that are growling deeply. The point here is that you've dropped down the ladder into sympathetic um, activation, but you want to run away from wild dogs. That your your first instinct will be to run away. So the panic feeling is that feeling that you'll be flooded with these feelings of panic. So I don't I don't see how flooding is its own state or unique experience. Kids are about to get in a fight. Yeah, they feel a lot of or adults, I guess, 
They feel flooded with um, I don't know, anger or aggression or hostility. And the last F that I'll cover is fatigue. This is feeling tired and or sleeping in response to a threat. I've just, I've never heard of this. And again, I don't quite get it. Um, just, I, I don't get it. So this just sounds like a coping skill to me to tolerate like a mild stress. Like, you know, I feel crummy and it's not the big of a deal. Let me sleep it off. I mean, I, I that's the best I can make sense of this. But, you know, like if, if, if danger or your threat response is high, is, um, strong enough and you, and you go down to like shutdown, then, and you, and then you exist in shutdown, we call that depression. And yeah, you spend a lot more time sleeping potentially. So I just either, to me, it's either a symptom of a, a depressive shutdown or it's like a coping skill to tolerate mild stress. I don't see falling asleep as a response to danger. It doesn't quite make sense to me. And I don't, yeah, I don't know. I just, I don't know. So that, that's, those are the F's that I'll go over that I've, just real quickly, I don't want to go too deep into those, but that's kind of where I'm at. But the point being here is we have our three states that are directly, or actually four, but they're directly linked to neural circuitry. No, three states, social engagement, sympathetic, and then uh, parasympathetic, parasympathetic um, shutdown, sorry. So we have our three states, right, that are directly linked to neural circuitry and evolutionary hierarchy. We can trace the, actually, Dr. not we, I, Dr. Porges did it. He can trace these things back in time and see the function that they played in evolution and why these are still within us and the role that they play within us today. But it's neural circuitry, it's evolutionary hierarchy. Like, we can we can see these things. We can point them out in a body. Like, there, yeah, there it is right there. There's, there's those, that cluster of uh, circuitry that activates sympathetic arousal. So what I want you to do is think of these three states, uh, which is the parasympathetic safe and social system, the sympathetic flight and fight system, and the parasympathetic shutdown system. I want you to view these as like primary colors. So red, blue, and I don't care what color each one you line up with. That's not the point. But the point is just like there's three primary colors, red, blue, and yellow, and that's it. There are no other primary colors that I know about. So just like those three primary colors, we have three primary states. You can, like you know, with primary colors, you cannot create colors by mixing other colors. You can't create primary colors by mixing other colors. They simply are primary. They just exist. They're already there. So that's the that's the analogy I want to use for our three autonomic states. So and also just like the primary colors, these these states can be mixed, like I talked about last time. We can create the, the uh, behaviors of play by combining safe and social with fight and flight. So by combining parasympathetic, safe and social, with sympathetic, flight and fight. And stillness is a combination of safe and social plus shutdown. So we can mix the colors just like red and blue or purple, but purple is the secondary color. Play it, from what I'm understanding here is the secondary color. Play does not exist without those two primaries combining, just like purple does not exist without red and blue combining. Uh, and play has its own look with recognizable pieces from the primary states, just like purple will have its own look. But if you have a little bit more blue or a little bit more red, 
it's going to look a little bit different. But play is its own thing. It, it, it looks different than safe and social, and it looks different than uh, flight and fight because it's, it's, it's a combination. So with mixed states, they will have their own look. And that's what I'll call um, play and stillness. Is it's a mixed state. Or maybe that, that would be accurate to call a secondary state. But so sitting, oh, and also like sitting still, this is, here's, a, here's a good comparison. Mixed states will have their own look or secondary states. Sitting still to use the restroom does not look like the same as freeze. They're both still, but obviously they look different. The behaviors, the body, the way that our heart beats, uh, vocal prosody. <laughs> For those of us that are using prosody while using the restroom, there, like, there's, um, it looks different. It doesn't look like freeze. It's its own thing. I don't think that we see like a pure primary state very often day to day. Like, and I don't, the word pure here. I'm using this very loosely, right? But I don't think we see this pure primary state very often day-to-day and what I mean by that is like pure social engagement which is like pure connection and soothing to another human being I just I don't know typically day-to-day I don't think we see that Um, I don't think we see someone in like a pure mobilization it exists but I don't know how how often we see that day-to-day and I don't see I don't know if we see someone in like a pure sort of like shutdown or collapse day-to-day even though someone may exist in of a like a majority of shutdown, they're still like they're still going to use their legs to walk to school, which is sympathetic. They can still do some level of interaction. So even though they exist day to day more on the shutdown or freeze state, they're still using like like they're still using the other states a little bit to walk. Like that's sympathetic. You use oh, by the way also you use the sympathetic a little bit, a tiny amount when you breathe inward. Um, people in the shutdown state can still do some level of interaction. Usually they might be getting some work done here, doing some interactions. Like it's not like this pure shutdown, even though they exist in a majority shutdown, they're still using enough of their other states to get by on some level. So in my mind, there seems to be some sort of like a pie chart for mixed states, which is different. I think probably different from individual to individual and of course from different different from like situation to situation and also different when interacting with someone in another state so there's all these things that come into play but I, in my mind there might be some sort of pie chart like someone is like and i don't know if you could do all three at once but if someone is like you know 55 percent shutdown but they use that 45 percent to get through the rest of the day and kind of make it by somehow but I don't. I don't. It doesn't, I don't think we see people in 100% shutdown very often at all. It's, you know, I don't, you know, outside of the moment of survival, when you're trying to, when the body is attempting to survive the moment of life threat, I don't think we see that 100%. Someone who dissociates throughout the day, they, um, they, their chunk of the pie chart dedicated to shutdown is probably more than someone who exists more in um, safe and social. It definitely is. Of course it is. So, And also the way that a state affects you is going to be comp- probably completely contingent on your history, of course, your trauma history, your, the way you were raised, your vagal break, but also on genetics, but I can't track that, so I have no idea. But um, there's all these things that are going to af- affect 
the state or the mixed state that you're in. So I don't think we see the pure primary state as kind of the point here. We probably see, we probably see mixed states regularly without even realizing it. Think about the person that's like in a deep depression, like a shutdown, but they're able to smile off the pain. This is not uncommon. You know, they can smile off the pain and convince other people that they're okay. Not uncommon. Chris Farley, the comedian, he was on Saturday Night Live, did a few movies. Tommy Boy being the first and the best one. Uh, but Chris Farley is a tragic example of this. He was heavy drug user, which he ultimately died from. On the same day as his idol, John Belushi, also a Saturday Night Live alum and was in a couple of movies. So they, they, he and John, he died the same way and on the same day, uh, drug overdose as his idol, John Belushi. Chris Farley obviously had some sort of shutdown, deep depression going on, but he was the funniest man in the room and deeply loved by his friends. So he must have been in some sort of mixed state. He must have been. And even though he was in a deep, obviously a deep depression, he was able to be the funniest man in the room, the most well-liked and well-loved man in the room. Robin Williams is another great example. Killed himself. Another suicide. I mean, I think Chris Farley was suicide by overdose. But Robin Williams, he killed himself, obviously severely depressed. But he was the highest energy person that we may have ever seen in our lifetime. So even though he was seemed to be and I'm not a, I don't know, I'm not, I'm not a therapist, so this may not be super helpful, but if, you know, obviously there was some sort of depression going on there. It, obviously there was some level of shutdown, right? But my God, you would never see someone with, with that much energy ever again. So it was, you know, I, 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 I know we see these mixed states regularly. I, I know they're out there, but we see them every day. We don't recognize it. Because people can definitely come off, you know, yeah, you know, life is good, I'm doing fine, but no, nah, they're not. They're ready to, like, kill someone on the highway. Or they want to run away from their job, you know, when their boss calls them in for a meeting. But when you pass them down the hallway, they're like, hey, how's it going? I'm fine. Gary Vaynerchuk, if, uh, he's another good example of um, possibly a mixed state here. Um, he's an extremely, so Gary Vaynerchuk is an entrepreneur and has really been kind of on the front lines of making entrepreneurship cool. Uh, he's an extremely aggressive person. He, but he also seems to have a very high level of caring. Uh, but he does so kind of aggressively. If you ever listen to him, he he said he is he said he has cursed out an elderly man at a football game when his team lost the Jets. Like he he just will verbally assault someone uh, for his team losing, which suggests a pretty weak vagal break. But, oh, and also he won't let his kids score a basket at home when he plays against them. And he's got like little kids. Um, he says he likes to lose. But he also really prides himself on his listening and uh, being empathetic towards his uh, employees. He even has a wine called Empathy Wines. So he's extremely aggressive, but he seems to come across extremely genuine in his social interactions as well. Makes a big effort to listen, understand where people are coming from, help people without really asking for much in return at all. So it's this weird mixed state kind of thing. And then also like the kids that I work with are more depressed frequently, but they show it as like anger um, or like defiance. But really there's some depression, like there's a shutdown when you talk to them one-on-one, there's a shutdown thing going on. And yeah, it, you know, it could be like an up, up and down the ladder kind of thing. Maybe they're rapidly going up and down the ladder. Sure. 
but the primary state seems to be shut down with being able to go up into like that uh, that anger and then back down and shut down. Yeah, but I think there's like a mixed state thing going on. There also, I think there seems to be like a spectrum within the primary states or at least a range of behaviors within the, within the state. So like shutdown can be like a collapse or a death fainting. It can be a catatonic freezing. It can be a fainting. It could be dissociation or maybe a flop. And I don't know this. I, I haven't mapped out the spectrum of that, but it's, there seems like that parasympathetic dorsal vagal life threat survival reaction has these varying degrees or very like the spectrum of how it looks. These are all, but they're all within the realm of shutdown and using that same circuitry. Um, in the session, um, I don't see clients going into an actual freeze, but I do see them dissociate. It's the same parasympathetic pathway, but there does seem, like I said, there's, there seems to be a spectrum within that pathway of behaviors, which is based on many, many, many things. So the question to ask yourself is not which of these three primary states are you in? I mean, you can, that's fine. I'm not going to stop you from asking yourself that. But it's more like, which of these three primary states do you feel the strongest or the most often? I think that's a a better way to put it. Um, And I asked, it's like, if you're a person who fawns, it comes down to, are you more socially engaged? But that's not faking it. That's that's not a learned coping skill of, of how to get by. That's genuinely connecting to someone else. That's genuinely being able to hold safe eye contact. Um, that's giving genuine smiles and eye crinkles that sort of just come out and not something that you had to learn to get by. So the, that's the question to ask yourself is not which of these primary states are you in? The flight, I'm sorry, the, uh, the social engagement, um, <laughs> flight or fight or shutdown. Sorry, wow, I drew a blank there. So it's more like, which of these primary states do you feel the strongest or the most often? I regularly ask my clients now, do you feel more safe, more like running, more like fighting, or more like just shutting down and maybe being alone? And I always clarify to them, because they say, I feel safe. I say that I know you are safe, and I know I say, I know that you know that you're safe, but I want you to look inward and listen to what your body's telling you. What's your body telling you? And in general usually, or even right now, do you feel safe? And they always say no. Uh, This seems to make more sense. Asking it in this way of like, where are you usually feeling? Or are you usually feeling more safe, more like running, more like fighting, or more like shutting down? This seems to make more sense to my clients that I work with. And again, the answer is always no. That uh, they don't feel safe. And that one of those other options seems to be a better fit for them. So, I would, dear listener, I would definitely invite you to ask yourself that um, and be as honest with yourself as you can. And if you can't handle it, that's cool. Let it go. Uh, come back to it when you can or do it with a trustworthy, someone that you trust, like a therapist or a spouse or you have somebody you feel you can you can talk with uh, and just kind of say, hey, you know, I want to explore this idea with you. Or um, if you have a spouse or a partner or a friend that you trust their opinion and just ask them, hey, do I seem like I'm a safe person or do I, do I, do I seem like I'm connected to you or other people or do I seem more like I want to get the heck out of here and run away or that I'm more aggressive or do I feel like I just kind of, do I seem more like I want to just kind of be alone and shut down and be by myself and isolate and that kind of stuff. 
you know, and ask if a trusted individual, like trust, you know, someone you trust, like ask them um, for their feedback if you, if you feel if you feel safe doing that. But your body will tell you it's there. the The answer is there within you. I think the other thing I would encourage you to do, as you feel safe to do so, because I don't want you uncovering anything unless you're like don't unless you're in a safe spot. Don't do that, please. The thing that I would ask you to do is to look at what's bringing you the most pain in your life, and if it's something like, you know, you spend too much money. Ask yourself, if if I were to take away spending money, if I took away that coping skill, I'm going to call it a coping skill. If I were to take that away, what would I be left with? That's what I want. If, when you're ready to, ask yourself that question. And it could be, if I were to take away alcohol, if you're if you if you if you feel like you have a um, an issue with with drinking and Alcoholics know, they, I mean, or people who have uh, abuse issues, whatever, with, when it comes to alcohol, drug use, they know. So uh, if you feel like you're kind of there, ask yourself, if I took this away, what would I be left with? And that might be the beginning of finding out what state that you're in. Once you take away that coping or that survival skill, whatever you're left with might be an indication. And it, it, pro- it might be a feeling. So if I took away... Um, if I took away spending, I would be left with this awful pit in my stomach. Or if I took away, and I don't know what the answer is for you, I'm just picking that up. But if I took that away, I'd be left with this awful pit in my stomach and I'd want to go hide in the deepest part of my closet with the lights off. I'm just making stuff up. I have no idea if that's you, of course. But what would you be left with? If you took away that thing, what would you be left with? So I, I, that's to kind of wrap up the whole idea here. I think that with those other Fs, that's what we're seeing is that there are survival skills, coping skills, learned behaviors, that there are ways to deal with the primary state that you're in, which is social engagement, uh, sympathetic flight fight, or shut or a parasympathetic shutdown. That those other Fs are either one of those states, and that's how you deal with it, or one of those Fs might be basically the same state like flop is basically to me the same as freeze i mean it's it's all covered under the dorsal dorsal vagal shutdown so that's yeah that just to kind of tie everything together and then also yeah these primary states i think that we can mix them um i I don't know the names for those yet besides play and stillness but fawning might be one i don't know but i do think that those primary states can look a lot different for the for different people that there's probably a spectrum within those primary states and um, that we can learn a new behavior based on our primary states that help us to get through the day, to ignore the pain, to get some relief, or to survive. So that's kind of, hopefully kind of tie everything together. Do me a favor, won't you please, dear listener, tell a teacher about this podcast. The polyvagal polyvagal school series is uh starting pretty soon maybe within a few weeks a couple weeks so if the teacher that you recommend if the teacher that you share this with if they listen to the previous seven episodes plus this one they'll be all set i'm imagining this is my imagine this is where i'm at right i'm imagining a world where teachers and parents are able to talk about their concerns using language and concepts like co-regulation polyvagal ladder safety and so on you get the idea right that's my goal for the podcast right now is for 
caretaking professionals and parents included to begin to use that kind of language. If, if a kid walks into class and the teacher knows that they typically is, exist down the ladder versus they just have ADHD and they med- need medication versus they're just kind of a brat. Um, and if, yeah, I'm not saying that your kids are brats. I'm saying that our judgments, our stories can very easily go that direction when we drop down the poly- polyvagal ladder. So anyhow, so if a teacher can look at a kid as being down the ladder versus one of those other options and, and to realize how important their co-regulation is, and to communicate on that level with parents, like that's my dream right now is to make that a reality. And doctors as well, parents, doctors, teachers, therapists, like if we can all start using this language, I would just be thrilled. It'd be like an early Christmas for me. So thank you so much for listening. I hope this has brought you some value. If you have a question about anything, I'd love to hear it. Possibly address it in a future episode. Most likely address it in a blog post. Feel free to contact me. Bye. Bye.